Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who is the Son of the living God. Amen. What a difference a week can make. Our text for today from Matthew 17 tells us of Jesus' transfiguration, this event just six days in the biblical record from when Peter makes his confession, guided by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. For only a moment, Peter received the foretaste and understanding and the insight of what God was up to. His confession then lifted by Jesus as the very foundation that Jesus will build his church upon. But Peter's knowing and understanding only lasts a moment. As Jesus tells him and all of his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and what will happen with the chief priests and the scribes that he will be condemned to die and he will be put to death. But then he also tells his disciples the promise that he will be raised again in three days. This sends Peter into a little bit of a tizzy. And Peter often, like us, begins to assert his own way of understanding and his own needs. This is not what Peter had expected. Jesus is the Messiah. Come into the world to reestablish the throne of David, to raise up Israel as the nation above all nations, and to reestablish God's people. Peter speaks to Jesus out of his own needs, that Jesus has not accomplished what was needed in his mind. This is what, not the outcome that he had wanted. Peter thought he knew better than his creator what humankind needed. Peter tried to put God in the box of his own understanding so that he'd get the God that he had designed. Hearing that Jesus must die, Peter tries to talk some worldly sense into him. So Peter takes Jesus aside and and tells the son of the living God that he is mistaken. And Peter chastises the one who has performed many miracles who has cured many of disease and sickness, who has cast out a multitude of demons, and who even calmed the sea by just speaking. Peter forgets that Christ has come to forgive the sins of the world. This also, I don't think, what Jesus had hoped for. Hearing this from the man who he had just said, your confession is what I will build my church on. And Jesus rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. But Peter is not banished from the Lord's presence. In fact, Jesus is very patient with him, as he is with us. Peter continues to travel with Jesus, and we are told that here now, six days later, Peter is one of the select three that gets to climb the mountain with Jesus. And at that time, an incredible event takes place, one that is fraught, with all kinds of theological baggage and discussion and inference. As if all that wasn't enough, Jesus is transfigured. He is revealed for exactly who Peter confessed him to be. He is not transformed. He has not made something different than what he was. He was revealed as what he had been all along. 
His glory now witnessed by Peter and the other disciples, they observe Jesus with the glory of God upon him, actually within him. In this, Peter understands once again, if only for a moment. Though he still sees Jesus in his humanity, flesh and bone. It is not only this in seeing the glorification of Jesus that convinces the disciples of Jesus' divinity, but also in getting to witness the discussion between Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. But what does Peter do again? Even now, having seen God's glory revealed, Peter falls back into the habit of his own ways, old ways. He wants not only to preserve and sustain this glorious moment with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, but maybe even to detain Jesus, to delay or even prevent his departure for Jerusalem and the inevitable suffering and death that Peter now knows is coming. Peter, like us, struggles with the suffering that will come. And Peter wants to sustain this mountaintop experience. He offers to build three dwelling places, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, now even forgetting, apparently, a place for himself and the other disciples. Beloved Lutheran pastor and professor Jim Nestigan quips that here Peter wants to build a seminary so that he can hang out and discuss theology for a while with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. But Peter has again spoken out of turn. But this time he did not challenge God's will. He merely makes a suggestion and leaves the decision to Jesus. But Peter's own thinking and speaking is from his own reason again. And he is rebuked. But this time it doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from the one who sent Jesus. The father speaks, validating and putting to rest any doubts as to whether his son does and says what's what's according to God's will. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God breaks into the scene with that same declaration and promise that was spoken in Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River as Jesus was starting his ministry and God gave him that promise that sustained him throughout his ministry. But now the Father gives his son not only the same promise, now that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem, the Father reiterates this promise but adds to it, listen to him. As Jesus takes on the sins of the world, it is this promise that has sustained him. It is this promise that will take him to the cross. God says, listen to my son. Hear him. See his ways. My way, not your way. His words are my words. He is obedient to the end. My will is fulfilled in him and he will lay down his life for all. In him, My wrath is ended, and the curse that I have cast on the whole of humanity has ended. With this revelation, this rebuke, this gospel, Peter and James and John are prepared for what is to come. They too now follow Jesus to Jerusalem and to the cross. Really, in understanding this context of the church year, this lesson of the transfiguration serves maybe a similar purpose for us. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. 
Next Sunday, the first Sunday in Lent, there are now 46 days before Easter and the cross of Christ and what lies beyond it. The trouble is our thoughts and our actions are often not on the things of God, but of our own human needs and desires. Our shortfall is not the denial of sin or the rejection of temptation, but it is the very real denial of God's divine right to be the ruler of your life. We question his word, his authority. We try to make him conform to our own ideas and our own desires. We water it down and say, well, good enough. Now, I'd like you to think for just a moment on this last week, if you can, about the times that you had wished and hoped that God and others around you would fit into your expectations. Not just the times maybe you consciously caught yourself, but think back and consider your week, your complaints, your frustrations, your aggravations, the stresses in your relationships. What are the things that you have kept in your conscience to control? But the thing that really, really scares us is when God does speak into our lives. Because like the disciples, we fear what God will say and what he thinks of us. And so we go through life trying to control what we can, seeking our own mountaintop experiences and believing that we can shape them and we can preserve them in our own willing. Especially trying to keep God at arm's length. However, life does not generally allow us to sit there very long. Ask someone who was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. Ask someone who sits in a courtroom during a divorce proceeding listening to their life being dismantled. Ask someone who goes to work one day and is told we, lo we no longer need you and walks back out to an unknown tomorrow. Ask someone who struggles with alcohol or drugs or maybe even things that we don't think about like video game addictions, athletic performance addictions. Ask them who God really is. By the same token, ask someone who holds a newborn child or someone that has received the news that their cancer is in remission. We are told that the disciples cower in fear of God speaking and yet Interestingly, they have never feared Jesus speaking. Friends, God does not remove the suffering that Jesus will endure, and he does not say that we will not suffer in this life. What he does tell us is the promise that comes in his son, and that is that we will never suffer alone, and that suffering is also not our identity cancer, divorce, job loss, addiction, and many other things are not what define us. Jesus was sent to be the light in a very dark world. And he does this by speaking into your life. And when Jesus speaks, it is not to be feared because when Jesus speaks, he creates new life. He does this by saying, I forgive you. 
The penalty of sin that should have crushed us all eternally, Jesus has taken and in his death, he crushes the grip of sin, death, and the devil. And Christ takes what is yours, your sin, your doubts, your burdens, your death, and he gives you what is his, his life, his inheritance, his righteousness, his favor before God. Today we have seen little Theodore be claimed in God's promises. And that is a good reminder for all of us that we that are baptized and made one in Christ and by his declaration are also transfigured as children of God. And if the father is well pleased with his son, then he is well pleased with you. You who are adopted through water and word. Peter, James, and John are the witnesses to the church and they have spoken through the scriptures. Our reading today from 2 Peter is Peter's witness to this great event and his understanding now beyond the cross. And our own knowing and understanding comes by grace. It comes with the eyes of faith to the vision of what is to come. We hope and we trust in what lies beyond the cross and the grave. As Jesus and the disciples descend from the mountain, Jesus tells them to tell no one of what they have seen. Because what lies ahead is the cross and with it forgiveness of sins and the certainty of your salvation. And so he tells them to wait. Wait until it all has been accomplished. And so now we turn to the season of Lent. Lent is our time to wait. And this Wednesday we will gather and confess our own mortality on Ash Wednesday. And as we sit in the reality of our own sinfulness, we will again hear Christ's promise. My body, my blood for you. Forgiven. But while we wait, we do not sit idly on our own mountaintop, but we gather. We preach Christ crucified and risen to the glory of God and for the love of our neighbor. For Christ was lifted up onto that cross for all people. Upon it, we know and we see God according to his mercy, the way that he wants us to know him. So now let the transfigured light of Christ shine in you so that many may see your good works and give glory to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.